uh, like Evian, the water. We're not going to advertise that this morning, but we are going to show an Evian commercial. Let's, uh, let's watch the screen. Any given morning. Uh, I read a news story this week about a German lady named Maria Brunner. And uh, Maria's husband was unemployed, so Maria had to work uh, several jobs, uh, cleaning houses, all these kind of things, to make ends meet, taking care of three kids. And even though he was without a job, her husband managed to run up tickets, parking tickets, and speeding tickets to the tune of $5,000. And he kept the secret from her. And, but she was the one who was the official owner of the car, so she was responsible. And if they didn't pay the, the, the bill, she was going to be on the hook for that money, but also she was due to go to jail for this. Crazy, crazy kind of experience. Um, check out her reaction. She says, I've had enough of scraping a living for the family. As long as I can get food and a shower every day, I don't mind being sent to jail. I can... I can finally get some rest, she says. <laughs> and uh, the arresting officers, when they took her away, they said she was unlike anybody they'd ever arrested before. She was smiling as they, as they handcuffed her and took her into the custody. I, I wonder, have you ever been that exhausted? So very tired that you were willing to go to prison to get a rest? <laughs> you know, have you ever been that tired? I, I'm sure you've been very, very tired, and, and, and we all have. Maybe you've faced a, uh, a difficult deadline or you're grappling with a complex issue in a relationship or a complicated matter in your work or, or at school, um, and, and you're tired right to your very core, right to the soul of your being. And we, I think we long for rest. We long not just for physical rest, we long for, for spiritual rest. In the the book of Hebrews, the writer says this, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. You notice that, that last phrase there, their example of disobedience, that refers to the people of Israel when they were making their way through the wilderness and, and they refused 
to hear God. They refused his invitation to enter the promised land. They spent another 40 years wandering the desert. Why don't we pray this morning? Pray words not like them. Shall we do that? Bow your heads with me and let's pray. God, uh, this morning, um, you give us a great invitation, an invitation to, to live a life and a rhythm of rest. And I pray, Lord, we would not harden our hearts like the Israelites did in the desert. That we might have faith. We might learn to trust you. And that we might learn to walk and live in your rest, the rest you've provided for us. Lead us into this, we pray, this morning and always, in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to look at this rhythm, how there's this rhythm rooted in creation itself and how the the universe is formed and shaped, God, in that that seven-day creation story, resting in one day, and how we're made in God's image, and so we're made to rest at least one day in seven. And we're going to see how entering into Sabbath is going to involve trusting God to both pray and to play. As you may know, if you've read the Ten Commandments, which is found in both Exodus 20 and and Deuteronomy 5, the fourth commandment is the command to take a Sabbath day, ideally a 24-hour period of, of rest. But here in Hebrews, the writer Uh, also calls us to enter into the Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. In Hebrews 4.4, it says, For somewhere, that's actually, that somewhere is back in Genesis 2, God has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Um, When the writer of Hebrews calls us to enter that Sabbath rest, they have in mind the fact, based on the context of this passage, that God in the, the creation account worked for six days, he rested for one, The writer, knowing that we're made in God's image, and so we're made to do the same and have at least one day of rest in our seven-day cycle. Then then the writer says, I already mentioned, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Biblical scholars point out that this invitation is a call for us to honor Sabbath now in our weekly rhythms, but but also suggests that there is a future Sabbath rest for those who who belong to God that will kind of one day enjoy in heaven. I mean, heaven's going to be a lot of resting. So it's a reason to want to go there. And, and so in light of all this, in light of our, uh, this rhythm of God in creation, that one in seven day, that rest that God took, and also as our, our future as a people who will one day enjoy a rest with God forever, we're to therefore take one day out of rest now, out of seven. And, and actually, you know, this is one of the things that identifies us, that kind of marks us as a people of God. We're Sabbath keepers. It makes us a, a peculiar people. It, it's not just that we're nice Canadians. One, one of the things that identifies you as a child of God is that you honor the Sabbath day. Sabbath is also an important part of our trellis. We talked about how our trellis is uh, important in, uh, and it supports our, our life with God last week. Um, much like a, a, a trellis might support a... Uh, hydrangea, very large hydrangeas, um, really large hydrangeas. Um, this big, this big people. They grew this week. Um, uh, grapevines, how they're supported up by, by a trellis. And, and the, the spiritual practices we choose with the spirits leading and help becomes our support structure, our, our rhythm of life, which helps us to, to flourish in what? In our friendship with Jesus. And Sabbath is an important part of one of those spiritual practices. 
Sabbath is something we're going to keep talking about from time to time here at Hillside, and I'll, I'll tell you why. It's kind of a personal reason, because I need to hear about it. I suspect some of you do too. But as I said last week, I have a tendency to kind of overwork, to kind of push my limits, to not live within the limits that God has given me, to work harder than, than really sometimes I need to. And, and I can be driven towards that. And, and, and actually, I, I had a memory this week of a significant conversation I had with a pastor mentor friend of mine back probably about 25 years ago, before, well before I was a pastor. I was just a young adult, like 12. Um, I, I, I was talking to this, this pastor mentor friend of mine, and, and I'll never forget him saying, he said, he said with kind of a, a smug, maybe slightly boastful tone, I've, I haven't taken a day off in 37 days. And in my spirit, I felt, that's not right. That's not good. That's not healthy. And kind of in, in my mind, I think I, I thought, if I ever become a pastor, I don't want to live like that. And, and here's the thing, even though I found that when I have honored Sabbath and found that it is a life-giving practice, I found in, in both my life and in the lives of others around me, even though they know it's important, even though we know it's one of the the big ten, we often struggle actually living this out. And so I need, and I I think we all need, regular reminders to embrace and to re-embrace this gift. So how are we doing at honoring the Sabbath? Honoring ourselves and honoring God. I think those three are all intertwined together. Honoring ourselves and honoring Sabbath is all about honoring God as well. Um, If we violate this, if we violate this principle, we actually hurt ourselves, and we actually deprive those whom we love. Let me give you a, a kind of an example of this. Uh, during the French Revolution, the uh, French decided to extend the workday week to 10 days. They went to a 10-day work week. You know what they found? They, they, they found that people started getting sick, and, and people started getting, uh, you know, breaking down kind of thing, and they reverted back to a seven-day week where people work five or six days because You and I, we were not designed to work a 10-day work week. When God calls us to honor the Sabbath, he does it because he wants to bless us with the Sabbath. This is a good news kind of message. So so God rested one day in seven. But as Ken Shigematsu points out, our rhythm is slightly different. The first human being in the creation account was created when? On the sixth day of creation. And so... Actually, the very first day for a a human being on earth was what? It was the Sabbath. They they started their journey on the Sabbath, which means we're designed to work from rest rather than rest from work. Did you catch that? It's very significant. We're designed to work from rest rather than rest from work. You see, when we understand that our life fundamentally begins with with rest, we can affirm that our primary identity is not in what we do, but it's in the fact that you and I are loved by God, profoundly loved by God. When we begin with rest, we can remember that we are primarily not human doings, but, but we are human beings. Sometimes we can forget that. Uh, when we begin with rest, we can have this, this posture of, of trusting God, and it's in trusting God that we honor God. I appreciate, uh, I want to give you an example from uh, this whole thing called tithing. I, I appreciated Lincoln's leading us in a prayer over our offering this morning. Oftentimes when, when one of our leaders or hosts prays for the offering, they'll, they'll give thanks for the, the tithes and the offerings. And, 
And, and tithing is, for those of you who don't know, it's for those who've decided to give one-tenth of their income to God. And here's the thing. There's a, there's a big difference between offering the first tenth of your income and offering the last tenth of your income, isn't there? Even though it might be the same amount. When we offer the first tenth, we're saying, God, I give you my best. I'm going to put you first. I'm, I'm going to trust that you'll take care of me and you'll provide for me. I, I'm going to trust that, that I'll have all I need as opposed to waiting to see what's left over to see if I can, you know, give a little bit to God after the fact, after I've paid all my bills and all my other obligations. That's actually honoring to God. Some of us, if we're honest, don't we feel like we need to earn our rest? I mean, think about it. Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve they started their existence how? In rest. And so did you, actually. Way, way back. The catacombs of your, time, your, your beginnings of life. You started at rest. You began as a few cells, and then you sat out a, a fairly significant journey in your mama's womb, and you weren't, like, in there going, Hey, Mom, I work out. I mean, every, everything was being done for you. I mean, it's the perfectly catered existence. And actually, when you come out of the womb, it doesn't change all that much. You come out, and your life in the crib, your life in your mama's womb, all, all that, those early days of your life is all about you not earning a squat. You're on the receiving end. It's all a gift. And so you, you really began your existence, you began your life in a position of rest. And, and from a Hebrew perspective, you actually begin your day at rest. When, when does your day begin for you? Some of you are uh, what I might call daybreakers. You know, you're, you're there before the dawn of the morning. Some of you, you're, you're uh, a little bit late in the morning. You guys are an early crowd, so, so perhaps you guys are early risers. But when, is your, when does your day begin for you? When, maybe when you wake up or when you have your first cup of coffee or you're, you've had a shower. But from a Hebrew perspective, the, the day doesn't begin when you wake up in the morning, but in the evening as you're getting ready to go, th- go to bed. From a Hebrew perspective, you begin your day sleeping, resting. Uh, Angel, uh, my wife, she loves romantic comedies, and therefore so do I. <laughs> One of her favorites uh, is the film Sandra Bullock kind of stars in it, Bill Pullman, I believe, while you were sleeping. And the whole plot is how this uh, woman becomes inadvertently the fiancé of this guy she's had a crush on who slips and falls and is now in a coma. Turns out very interesting things can happen to you while you are sleeping. You get married, engaged. And Scripture reminds us that God provides for us while we are sleeping. Do you remember King Solomon? What was King Solomon known for, aside from his thousand wives? What was King Solomon known for? His wisdom. When did he receive his greatest gift, his wisdom? It was while he was sleeping. When did Adam receive his greatest gift, Eve? The best thing that ever happened to him. For sure. While he was sleeping. While he was at rest. And while you are sleeping, God is providing for you. So... So you can know not only that your life began at rest, but also that your day begins at rest too. Then God calls us to begin our whole week at rest as well. And this requires trust. It says in in verse 11 of our passage that that we're to make every effort to enter that Sabbath rest into which God calls us. He goes on to say, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. 
The fact is, taking Sabbath is, is a journey of trusting God. It is going to require effort. When the writer, writer says so, so that you won't rest, so that you won't perish by following their example of disobedience, he's also referring not just to when they refuse to enter the promised land, but their whole journey with him around their provision, his provision to them of food. Do you remember uh, as they're going through the wilderness, they're on their way to, to this land, the promised land, which symbolized rest, and God even before he gave them the Ten Commandments with the command to take Sabbath rest, was, was training them. It says testing them in Hebrews 3. Testing his people in the wilderness to really trust him. And, and one of the ways God trained his people to trust him in the wilderness was daily providing them with this honey-flavored wafer substance called manna. Manna simply means, what is it? Because when they came out and saw it on the ground, they're like, what is this? Like, what, what is it? That's what it means. Simply, what is it? And God said, I'm going to provide manna for you every day that you're in the wilderness so you don't have to, to get more than a day's supply. You need, just need to go out there and collect enough manna, enough for your one day. And I'll provide you with that every day. You can trust me for this. But some of the people, as they went out looking for manna, they, they thought they were at Superstore. And they thought it was a case lot sale. And so they started gathering a lot and they filled their shopping carts and and they brought home a lot more, uh, at least for another day, or maybe two or three more days. But they found when they woke up the second day, what happened to their manna? It had rotted, it had rotted and, and there was filled with maggots and so forth. And, and God, uh, at the same time, they, they obviously weren't trusting God that he would provide. But, but then God said to them, this is in Exodus 16, by the way. On the evening prior to the Sabbath, I want you to take two days worth of food. And it's not going to rot. You'll find that second day collection of manna is going to be fine. And miraculously, supernaturally, the manna did not rot. On the Sabbath day, God was calling people to rest and not go looking for manna. You guessed it. The people, there were some that decided not to trust God in those moments, and they went out on the Sabbath day. Even though they'd had enough, they were looking for more manna. But this whole feeding process was not just a, a provision of food for the Israelites, but it was also a way for God to train his people to trust him. So again, for us, uh, practicing Sabbath is an exercise in trusting God. It really is. When, when I think of this issue, issue, I think of Angel in her university years. That's where we met, by the way. Angel came from a, a high-achieving household, a high-achieving culture where education uh, was, was one of the highest values. But around the time that Angel was going off to university, she became a Christian, and she began hearing about this one day in seven day of rest and she was kind of wrestling with this. She was just going to university. She thought, this really doesn't seem practical for me. It might be, be good for everybody else, but it's not probably practical or relevant for a, a new student. But this whole deal kept nagging her. She kept having this question kind of come to her from God. Will you put me first? Even ahead of your studies. Will you trust me with this? And she did. And Angel began a weekly Sabbath. And there were times, uh, I remember uh, when I knew her, that especially at the end of term and uh, when she had loads of assignments, she'd be anxious about those things. But what she did was she gave her anxiety over to God. And all throughout her university career, she practiced Sabbath every week. She never skipped church. Not once. I don't, I don't know any student that's gone through school that hasn't skipped a Sunday because they had an exam on Monday. But it was a, a, 
a 24-hour period of time that she gave over to God as a way of honoring him and saying, I trust you. And this trust exercise, what, what she learned through that is that she could trust God because God saw her through and he rewarded her. He brought me into her life. Actually, she graduated, and she got through her studies. She passed those exams, and, and funny enough, she looks back at that time in university where she took those 24-hour periods and honored God with those as the most foundational time spiritually for her. It set a pattern. It set a trellis, really, for her that, that has served her whole life long, where she's learned to trust God in every other areas of her life. And if you're a student or you're in business, taking a 24-hour Sabbath is going to be stressful sometimes. But it'll give you the opportunity to really put your, your faith into practice, literally by trusting God. If you're working and you've got a, a big presentation coming or you've got a deadline and your Sabbath day rolls around, there's going to be part of you that wants to work on that project. But this will be a, an opportunity for you to, to trust God. To lift up your, your anxiety to God and saying, I'm, I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to trust you. That's real faith. The writer of Hebrews says, make every effort to enter the Sabbath rest. Uh, Sabbath uh, takes effort in the sense of trusting God. But I'll tell you, it also takes effort in, in planning effort. It takes thought. I've actually required that, uh, found out that it kind of requires some learning and, and some experimentation. Uh, most people have found this. How do you fit it into your particular context? Uh, for me, I, I found that, that Sabbath for, for many people is maybe Saturday sundown to, to Sunday sundown or, or Sunday all day, what we've called the Lord's Day since the days of John. Um, for me, uh, Sunday is actually my busiest day at work. It's actually my most uh, exhausting day, and so it doesn't really work for me um, as a Sabbath day. And in fact, it really doesn't work for our family as a Sabbath day. Both Angel and I actually have chosen other days to practice Sabbath. And, and I found, in terms of experimenting, I used to practice Sabbath on Mondays. And for whatever reason, I was experiencing um, what they call PMS. I think it's called pastor's... I forget the rest. Yeah, Monday syndrome. Thank you. You're good. Past days Monday syndrome, where I, I, I got some counsel to suggest that why not spend your most emotionally pleaded, depleted day at the office and take your Sabbath day on another day of the week. And so I take Sabbath days on Fridays. It works for me. But I've had to experiment. Practicing Sabbath requires planning. In fact, it might actually require that you're a little more focused when you are at your job. It affects the choices you're making throughout your week so that you can say, I'm going to reserve that time so that I'm not having to work. Uh, I don't know an answer to this really, but, but I, I think if you're a stay-at-home dad or a mother with young children, Sabbath is going to be really, really challenging. It may not be a, a complete day of rest for you. It may simply be a, a simpler day, I hope. I mean, maybe it's uh, leftovers when it comes to food or... Maybe it's takeout. Uh, maybe it's going to the park or, or intentionally hanging out with other families with young kids so the kids can kind of entertain each other and you get a bit of a, some friendship and fellowship and things like that. But I, it's, I think a day where you look to intentionally simplify your day if you if you're, you're, uh, have those restraints of family. But let's talk about this. I, I think our young families should be interacting over this question. How can we practice this better? How can we live this practice of, of incorporating a day of rest into our weeks?
in various seasons of our lives. So if we're to honor a 24-hour Sabbath, if we're to move in that direction, what's it going to look like? Well, simply put, Sabbath is a day to pray and to play. Um, let me give you an example of someone who made that change. Rod Wilson is the president of Regent College, a renowned theological seminary at UBC campus. And a few years ago, he was leading them through a major fundraising, fundraising project uh, to build a new library. And at the end of that campaign, his board said, uh, Rod, uh, you've done well. We finished that campaign. You've worked so hard. We want to give you an extended leave. And so Rod and his wife, Bev, took a vacation, extended leave, to, of all places, Wales. And they decided, they, Rod, Rod noted while he was there that this was the first time, really, that he'd taken a Sabbath break in, in memory. And so he decided to unplug from his computer, no email, no cell phone, no car, they were in a tiny town of 1,500 people, and they spent their days eating and sleeping and going to coffee shops and reading, and uh, Rod was expecting it to be a great vacation, a great Sabbath. But here's what Rod said. He said, when I was in Wales, I experienced significant withdrawal pains, both psychologically and physically. He said, I, I yearned for work and for production and was troubled by the fact that I had nothing I had to do. For me, it was a significant crisis. He confessed in a talk that I heard him give that, it, that you could almost call this in his genes because his mother was still working at the age of 84 as a bookkeeper. For Rod, eventually, he was able to his, enjoy his Sabbath, and when he got back to Vancouver, he vowed to make a rhythm, uh, uh, much like God's, where he'd have a 24-hour break where he'd unplug his email and computer and cell phone, anything related to work, and he'd spend time worshiping in community with his family and his friends, or working, I'd say working, playing in his garden. Author Eugene Peterson has a great definition of, of Sabbath. He says, uncluttered time and space to distance ourselves from the frenzy of our own activities so we can see what God has been and is doing. If we do not regularly quit work for one day a week, we take ourselves far too seriously. The moral sweat pouring off our brows, listen to what it blinds us to. It blinds us to the primal action of God in and around us. Isn't that good? I mean, if we're just working seven days a week, we will take ourselves far too seriously. And the sweat of our brow will blind us to the work of God in our lives. Um, you know, as I said last week, as pastors, uh, we can easily slip into this habit of violating Sabbath. Um, I know many pastors who struggle with this. We can easily work overwork because of the pressure. And uh, when I get uh, super busy and kind of frazzled, I've adopted a practice about a year ago. Last September, I was feeling particularly so this way. And uh, I began picking up a copy of Eugene Peterson's The Contemplative Pastor. A, a great read, particularly for pastors. Great read for anybody, really. Um, it's funny, I thought this was my only, only my habit. I, I'd picked it up in September, and I went in the end of, of last September to a pastor's meeting, uh, a group of area pastors here in the Tri-Cities. Two other pastors in that same month had picked up the same book because they were feeling the same way I was. Kind of burning out, running the church. And it's funny. Um, 
Peterson talks about how pastors can slip into this running the church mode. And as if that's their primary job description. He would argue that our, our primary job description is to point people to God and to pray. And, and I think anybody, uh, any of us can slip into kind of running our life mode, can't we? Running things. Th- those types of questions, he says, are, what do we do? How can we get things going again? That, that way of thinking has you and I, has us as the starting point. More appropriate questions are, what has God been doing here? What traces of grace can I discern in this life? What history of love can I read in this group? What has what God set in motion that I can get in on? I like how Woody, Woody Allen puts it. He says, 80% of life is just showing up. All the good stuff's already been given to us. It's all been prepared. Uh, Ken Shigematsu, he talks about this too. On, on one of his Sabbath days, he decided to journal. And, and the heading on his journal entry was this. The surprising unplanned gifts of God in my life. And he began to write the, kind of the high points of his life. He began look, looking over his whole life. And this is what he says. He says, I went through the major events of my life, and this is what I concluded. The major turning points of my life were not things I initiated. They were gifts from God. You ever done that with your life? Looked at the, the, the best things that have happened to you? The good things that have happened to you? The major turning points? I think you'll likely find they weren't a result of your effort primarily. Wasn't it God opening that door? Wasn't it God giving you that gift? I bet a lot of them would be that. God gave them to you. And, and when you realize that, there's, there's something about that knowledge that makes you want to kneel and, and pray and worship Jesus. That realization that you didn't do it on your own. That we are what we are, and we are what we're becoming because of the grace of God. So the reason we're here weekly and, and why we worship one in seven days is to stop working so that we can see how God was at work in our lives and also to notice and pay attention to how he is working in our lives. And that will lead us to worship. And that will lead us to praise. And in turn, that will lead us to rest. So Sabbath is the day to pause and to pray and to worship and recognize that our life is in God's hands. It's also a day to play. I like this about Sabbath. I like how Mark Buchanan says it in his book on Sabbath. He says, the day, the Sabbath day, is a day to cease from what is necessary and embrace that which gives life. He says, Sabbath is a reprieve from what you ought to do, even though the list of oughts is infinitely long and never done. We know about that, don't we? The list that's never finished. He goes on, he says, Sabbath is the day you trade places with those oughts. Get this. They go into the salt mine, and you go out dancing. You get to willfully ignore the many niggling things your existence genuinely depends on and is often hobbled beneath so that you can turn to whatever you've put off and pushed away for lack of time, lack of room, lack of breath. You get to shuck the have-tos and lay hold of the get-tos. So let me ask you this morning, what is a get-to for you? What is it for you? What is it that, that you, you don't get to do the rest of the week that maybe you, you ought to be doing on that one day? A get-to. Is there something that you might be doing or should be doing on your Sabbath day that is life-giving for you? For some, it may be running or going to the gym. For some, it might be a novel, a film, or, or eating special food, or being with loved ones. 
in, in the church I grew up with, you, 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 as I've said before, you, they had all these rules around Sabbath keeping, and I, I think they were mistaken because I think they, they prohibited some of the playful side of Sabbath. You, couldn't, you, you weren't allowed to play soccer on the Sabbath day when, when for some people, being out on a soccer pitch is just the right thing for them. It's the, the most life-giving activity they could do. We had, they had this rule uh, at the camp I went to. You could, you could stand in the water because that was bathing. You just couldn't move around because that was swimming, right? <laughs> kind of quirky. But for some of you, jumping in a you know, Bunsen Lake and feeling the glacier might make you feel alive or very cold. But you know what? I, I believe when you are delighting in something, that God delights in you. I believe when you take joy in something, I believe God takes joy in you because God is like the perfect, unimaginably loving parent who delights in your delight. It's funny, um, both our sons, it seems like they were born, like right out of the womb, they loved water. And anytime we went on vacation, it seems like whenever, anywhere we were near water, they just, they got in full-hearted. In fact, we got tons and tons, I was looking at them yesterday, vacation photos of our kids playing in the water. And you know what? I love just sitting on the beach. We, we always go over to Qualicum Beach, and we'll sit at the beach, and I just love watching my boys wrestle and play and seeing the joys and hearing the laughter come out from them. Because, you know, when you are, uh, when, when one of your loved ones or your children experiences joy, it causes you to experience joy, too. Amen, parents and grandparents? Yeah? How much more God? Um, when you're having a good time, guess what? I think God is having a good time, too. As I, I mentioned last week, as you create your trellis, as you create your rule or rhythm of life, I, I hope there'll be a practice in it that will draw you to God. I hope there'll be a practice that will nourish you and connect you with other people in, in relationship or, or service. And, I, and ideally, our, our Sabbath looks like that too. There's a connection to God, there's something that nourishes us, and there's something that, that connects us to others in relationship or service. As we honor the Sabbath, as we trust God enough to, to pause and to pray, to pray and to, to play even exuberantly, it might come as a shock to us, to our systems. But we'll we'll discover the freedom of knowing that our life is not about running things. It's not held up by the sweat of our brow alone. And as we begin our days and our weeks this way, we'll become people who knows God in our everything. Let's pray. God, this morning we ask you to help us to trust you. We ask that you'd help us to enter into this gift that you've given, this rhythm that you've created for all of your creation. You've given us one day a week, a day to rest, a day to renew, permission to play and to pray. God, give us the grace to keep Sabbath, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.